help us. Father, we come before your throne, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, we draw to you. That, Father, you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That, Father, you will help us overcome the influences of our world. And that, Father, we would draw upon your word the depth and the breadth and the height that surpasses the understanding of man. And, Father, we would grasp it with an eagerness. We would grasp it with a thirst that is unquenchable and that your spirit would overwhelm us and that we would decrease and you would increase. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Amen. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels and I do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. New American Standard. What are we looking at here? Well, we call it the love chapter. And don't get me wrong, that is definitely the theme of the chapter. But I believe what has happened in our society today, we have missed the context. And I believe that in the church in the United States today, um, that is what's killing us. And I I don't say that to hurt people. uh, and, and, And I... I say that because when I look at the church in Corinth, I see the church in America. All right? And here's why I say that. Instead of the church influencing the culture, the culture has influenced the church to a very huge degree. And I think that the basic foundation that lays there is in this pivotal pivotal chapter. I don't believe that you can find it anywhere else. And I believe that I have heard this chapter preached I don't know how many times. Okay, a whole bunch of times. And don't get me wrong, they're all been good. But I believe that if you drop the context of what this chapter is dealing with, you have lost the power of this chapter. Okay, let me share with you what's going on. In in this book, beginning in chapter 1 through 6, Paul literally is sharing his heart of what he calls his daily concerns for the church. It's killing him. Okay, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Okay, that's the passion of the Apostle Paul. Right there, he just cranks it right out. Okay, go over to chapter 3, verses, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I and I, brethren, cannot understand what he's talking to. He's writing to a church. I and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as two men of the flesh, as two 
infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food for you. We're not able yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not even able to receive it. Okay, this is a solid church. Who was his founder? He was there for almost two years. I mean, this isn't an infant church. This isn't a church that doesn't have an understanding. Look at verse 9. For look what he says. We, who would that be? The hearers in Corinth and him. We are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. God's building. Okay. Chapter 12 or chapter 3 verse 12. Any man builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw. Each man's work, verse 13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed by, with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but... He himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? Or what he's dealing with here is a church that's having some problems. Having some problems. And he's calling them out. Listen, it isn't until chapter 7 does he deal with why they contacted him. The first six chapters, he's saying, listen, this stuff has come to me and I'm hearing this stuff and it's kind of driving me crazy. Can you help me out here? Chapter four, he shows what it is to be a Christian. He starts it out. Verse one, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. And he just goes through and shows that the humility that exists there. And, and that's, that's how the first six go. Okay, chapter 7, verse 1, he says this. Now concerning the things which you wrote. Okay? He deals with their questions. And their first questions is sexual immorality. Okay? Is it better to be single? Is it better to be married? Is it better to do this? Is it better? Which is the best? Okay? And there was some bizarre stuff that was going on. In chapter 8, he starts dealing with things offered to idols, causing the younger, the weaker to stumble. Chapter 9, he says, this is my freedom. This is the use of my freedom. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have you not seen our Lord Jesus Christ? Are you not my work of my Lord? I mean, you are my fruit. Look around. What I've done is power of God. Chapter 10, he says, oh, by the way, my people Israel, we should learn from their mistakes. We should learn from their mistakes. Then in chapter 11, he says, this is an amazing statement. I want you to think about this because what is the Great Commission? It is not to make converts. Okay, what is the Great Commission? To make disciples. All right? To make learners. Okay, teaching them the things that I've taught you, Lord, I'm with you to the end of the age. We all understand that. It isn't to make converts. It isn't to get people to say the sinner's prayer. It is to make disciples. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with that? Okay, try this one on. Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. If you're not making disciples, it might be a good thing. Might be. 
Might be. Why? Because are you willing to stand before a holy God and say, I wanted them to be imitators of me because I am of Christ. That's what Paul says. And what happens? He goes next. He says, you know what? You guys are having these Baptist potlucks and you've turned them into parties. And you've got people who come in and bring in the good pork roast and they eat it first. And then when the people who had to work and had to come in late, they ain't got nothing left but breadcrumbs. And he says, now you haven't even, you've even gone a little beyond that because you went beyond that because you took the Lord's table and it has become this orgy. Do you not know you are forsaking Christ when you do that? Do you not know? You know, I see people who say, well, I'm just not interested in going to church. I ask, here's a simple question. When do you partake of the Lord's table? Well, you know, whenever I get around to it. Do you know that when you partake of the Lord's table, you are pronouncing the gospel? Well, I only do it once a year whether I need it or not. So you only want to share the gospel once a year. I, I, that is mind-boggling to me. Well, you know, the church has got a bunch of grouchy people in it. No, the world does. Okay, well, the church has got a bunch of hypocrites in it. No, the world does. The church isn't for healthy people. The church is for sick people. Why? I need to know who Jesus is. He can help me. That's it. A great physician. Now, I want you to look at that flow that I just gave you because he rolls right into chapter 12 and he says what? Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be stupid, ignorant, unaware. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with that? When you look at the body of Christ today, ask yourself a simple question. Is the body of Christ today ignorant of spiritual gifts? Why? Why? Because of the first 11 chapters. Why? We are doing church our way, not God's way. Oh, this is so cool. It is. I can't even begin to express to you how cool this is. But I will tell you this. I, asked, I was talking to some people last night. And they said, um, I said, you know, you need to pray about this next few months that we go through chapter 13. And they said, why? And I said, because um, it, it kind of it's going to mash on toes. And they said, well, you know, are your toes? I said, my toes getting mashed? I said, it's been a hammer, a steamroller, a compactor, a dump truck, and a train. And I'm in verse 3. That's what my toes have been going through. I believe that chapter 13 is the crux of Christendom. Without chapter 13, throw the Bible away. That's pretty powerful. But I think, I think that we have missed it. The power that has been given for the unity of the body of Christ, we have already seen in chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse 27, look what it says here. Now you, you understand who the issue is here, right? That would be you. You are what? Okay, back up to verse 12, the end of verse 12, it says the manifestation of the church is what? Christ. Look at the church today and tell me what you see. Do you see Christ or do you see corporate America? Corporate America. God made us one in unity, but He did it through the diversity of the individual members of the church in His sovereignty so that it will come out in the harmony that we will be as one as the Godhead is. Okay? Okay? Which brought me to a controversial text 
there at the end of verse of chapter 12, verse 31. It's two phrases, and it seems wrong. This church was definitely not unified. This church was definitely not wanting to be diversified. They were wanting everybody to have the same gift. They did not understand the sovereignty of God, and therefore there was no harmony. And what did it show? Arrogance, the arrogance of man. That arrogance, I was just talking with Al just a few minutes ago, that that arrogance goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. The heart was right. We want to reach God. And you know what? I know people today, some of you in this room today, want to be one with God. But you want to do it your way. Your convenience, your time frame. It's the same thing the Corinthians was dealing with. Here's what the text says in verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. All right? What the heck does that mean? It seems not to fit. I want to show you a more excellent way. Did the church in Corinth have harmony? No. All right? Listen, it all functions in one frame. I don't care what your spiritual gift is. I don't care what your ministry is. Now, listen, have you ever heard this question asked? As a Christian, if you're truly a Christian today. Now, listen, I'm not talking about somebody who said a sinner's prayer. I'm not talking about somebody who's getting me out of hot water of Jesus. I'm talking about a person whose conscience and soul was invaded by the spirit of the living God, was overwhelmed by the person of Jesus Christ, and just in awe of who God is. That's the person I'm talking to. Anything else is counterfeit. All right? That person, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you prefer to minister or to be ministered to? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. I want to minister and be ministered to. You cannot be saved today and not have a ministry, it's impossible. Okay? You cannot be in the body of Christ and not have a ministry. Okay, And in that ministry, you will realize that you are being ministered to. All right, so here's what happens. We have supernatural enablings that allow us to do what God has called us to do. Listen, it's not talents. It will be something that you cannot do. God does not share His glory. Got that? I shared with you guys last week. Uh, I don't like talking in front of people. I'm not a people person. I, uh, what do you call it? Extrovert. That's not me. I, I don't do that. So what does God want me to do? I don't even like people. And God says, well, I want you to shepherd people. Yeah, you got the wrong person. I'll fix the fence for the sheep. How's that? Okay, as long as I don't have to talk to the sheep or deal with the sheep. Would that be kind? And he said, no, you don't want to do it. Why? I don't have the ability. And God says, you're my man. Why? Because you don't have it. You don't have that personality. You don't have that ability. You're an introvert. You've got all the things that will disqualify you as a pastor. Therefore, you're exactly what I need. Perfect. All right? And I told you guys that. I top 10 million things I want to be when I grow up, this isn't on the list. All right? So how does he do it? He gives me a divine enabling. You and I call it spiritual gifts. Okay? It's a gift. It's an equipping. God says, I've got you here for this purpose to do this thing. All right? Here's what we have here in verse 31. I'm going to just lay this. This is a foundation that we're going to move into the importance of love. Okay? There's two statements here. 
in verse 31. Earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you still more excellent way. All right? How does this thing work? Look at this in here. It says, I will show you a more excellent way. All right, now I want to pay attention to that because if, if, if Paul's telling me I'm going to show you a more excellent way, I am interested in more excellent way. All right, that's cool. But the first part don't fit. He says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Okay, the question is, the word there desired, zolato, zolato. Okay, normally in all New Testament writings, actually every time in the New Testament when it's used, it's bad. Okay? It's to covet something. All right? The question is, in the Greek text, is this indicative or imperative? All right? And the Greek language structure is set up based on this. Context delineates whether it's indicative or imperative. The thing that you will see, it comes out of King James, is that it is imperative. It is a command. Let me ask you a question. Were they seeking the greater gifts already? They wanted the showy stuff. Show me the stuff. I want the the one that brings attention to me. Covet that? Or is it indicative? I translate it this way. You are coveting the showy and I am showing you a more excellent way. Okay, that fits the flow of the text, correct? Right? And I've not argued. Go ahead. But what you're saying is, he's got 12 chapters that says, quit seeking for yourself, and I'll show you a better way. And you're going to say, oh, but by the way, seek the better gifts. And we've already looked at it. Who gives the gifts? Holy Spirit, as He wills. So when you desire it, so what? So what? I believe that this chapter 13 is the greatest thing in all of the world, the strongest and deepest thing that Paul has ever penned. Okay? I read some authors on this and and, and I just see what they said. One of them called this the hymn of love. Um... The beatitude set to music. I read through it and said, okay, that would be the noisy, gong, clanging, simple thing. Okay? I look at it kind of like a breath of fresh air in the middle of this book. Uh, this is an intensely problematic oriented book. <laughs> I mean, it's like one problem after the next problem after the next problem after the next problem. And you just sit there and go, <laughs> now listen, I want to share with you this because when we took on this book four years ago, I shared with you guys that what I want to do with this book and what this book does is deal with your personal holiness. Okay, Don't have to worry about me. It's already done me. It just beats me up every day. All right, Because 2 Corinthians is ministry. But if you haven't dealt with personal holiness and the, about, uh, the abilities and the powers that you have, you can't ever minister. You may do stuff, but you're not ministering. And we've already looked at it. It is possible to act spiritual in the flesh. But what are you accomplishing? Remember what I said? Wood, hay, or stubble, set it to fire. What does it do? All right. Paul is attacking and has been attacking the problems of the Corinthian assembly. And the single problem is a lack of what I call personal holiness. 
they were basically doing church their own way. Uh, man, is this so appropriate for today? All the calls that we get here on whether you have contemporary or traditional or blended or this or that or the other. Uh, ah, it's amazing. When I hear people, do you have this for the kids or the adults or singles or divorced or alcoholics or drug, whatever. Okay. Um, do you have anything for black people, white people, green people? If you see any green people, send them away, would you? Okay. Um, <clears throat> the principles that were given by God for their blessing have been ignored. And they were doing it their own way. Many, many take this chapter and, and they treat it with a sense of uniqueness. Okay? And, and I mean, if you read chapter 13, you know why. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, normally you hear chapter 13 read at somebody's wedding. Okay? You know, we're going to love. Okay? Um, so many times I hear this text pulled out and isolated. Like it, it's like chapter 13 just dropped out of heaven. Okay. And we didn't know what to do with it. So we stuck it in the first Corinthians. Um, it's preached on as if it is an entity in and of itself. Okay. As I have studied this book now for almost five years. It has become very clear to me that the real power is in its context. I couldn't make it mean as much to you as it means if I pulled it out and just preached it. And I think it gets abused. Um, I think if you pull this text out, chapter 13, any part of chapter 13 and set it out here, you're going to miss its power. Okay? Okay. Uh, The power of this text comes when you tie it together with the rest of this book, 1 Corinthians. All right, listen, let me me see if I can try to do it quickly because, like I said, it's been five years for me to figure it out. I'm just slower. In chapter 12, you see the receiving of spiritual enabling, spiritual gifts, the way God has put the gifts together in the church. You see that. Okay. In chapter 14, you see the proper exercise of these gifts, the how-tos and how-not-tos of spiritual gifts. What is he talking about contextually? He's talking about the body of Christ. He's talking about this thing that you and I call church. Okay. Then right in the middle is the proper energy... Um, the proper motive, the proper atmosphere, environment in which the gifts operate. Do you get that? If I'm not in the right atmosphere, I'm not in the right motive, power, environment, then what is the gift operating in? All right, and he comes out of chapter 12 saying, I will give you a more excellent way. Then you have chapter 13. Instead of accepting what God has given you, you are coveting. Anytime you are coveting or desiring, what are you doing with love? Killing it. Killing it. Listen, we already looked at it. The Corinthian church had gifts. You were lacking 
nothing. They had a lot going on. I mean, they had these love feasts. They had the Lord's table. They were reaching rich and poor, wise and not so. They had a lot of activities. But without love, it wasn't excellent. Okay, if it doesn't have love, then it is counterfeit. It looks like a church. It walks like a church. It quacks like a church. But I think it's a duck. Okay? This church had selfishness in it. This church had self-seeking in it. This church was operating in the flesh. And 13 is the sum of the more excellent way. Okay, now listen. I want, uh, Castle Rock Baptist Church, I need to talk to you. Do you have conflict in this group? Do you have struggle with this group? What about self-seeking? What about pride, envy, jealousy? None have a place in the body of Christ. And as we, you, talk about love, you're going to get to the very heart of Paul's view of spiritual life. Please understand this. I listen to people try to tell me what their spiritual gift is. I listen to people try to tell me what spiritual maturity is. I listen to all of the verbiage that is propagated and published today. Oh, I did two Ps um, today. And I listen to all of this. And you know one of the things that I don't hear? Now listen, I'm not talking about icky sentimentalism. I am talking about you are more important than anything I would ever desire. Love is basic. Do you know that... <laughs> I want you to grab a hold of this. this. This is going to help you in the weeks and months to come. Love is so basic to the Christian that it can be preached forever. What? Well, Terry, you can take a participle and preach forever. No, 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 no. Read verse 13. The greatest of these is love. Why? Faith is going to fade away. Hope is going to fade away. Prophecy is going to go away. Knowledge is going to go away. When will the love? Listen, I'm just going to give you some foundation things. This, this is, this is, listen, this message today is going to be maybe the single most important for the rest of the study of this chapter. And listen to what I'm saying. Because you have, listen, this church cannot stand before God and say, I'm ignorant of spiritual gifts. Good golly. It's impossible. Okay? You cannot stand. None of you can stand before God and say, I'm not sure how the body of Christ operates. It's impossible. So I want to share with you something. Truly, the, the truly spiritual life is the only life 
in which a spiritual gift can truly operate. Did you hear what I said? Truly spiritual life is the only gift in which a spiritual gift can operate. I have seen the little tests and little things that you can take that here's all the gifts and this is what they look like. Their definitions of the gifts is great and their manifestations of the gifts is great. And then they have this insane part of it that says, this is what the gifts look like in the flesh. It's impossible. The spiritual gifts do not operate in the flesh. It's impossible. It is a counterfeit. It is not a spiritual gift. Please hear me on that. Well, my spiritual gift in the flesh looks like, no! You're telling me a Holy Spirit-empowered endowment works under the influence of your flesh? No. It overpowers your flesh. All right? The spiritual life is not... Now, hear me. The, the (laughs) The church is trying to push a chain. It is. Listen, the spiritual life is not controlled by gifts of the Spirit. It is controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. Do you get it? Some of you are looking at me like, what? The true spiritual life is not controlled by the gifts of the Spirit. It is controlled by the fruit of the Spirit. What you see in the church today is churches being controlled by the gifts of the Spirit. This church is guilty of it. What is my gift? I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be doing this. Okay. Listen, your gift will never be energized without fruit of the Spirit. Period. Here you have these Corinthians. All the gifts... None of the fruit. What does it look like? The philosophy of man, schisms, divisions, personality cults. I am a Paul, I am a Paulus. Allowing your freedom to master you? If you do not have fruit of the Spirit, then the gifts of the Spirit are functioning in the flesh. If they're functioning in the flesh, they are counterfeit, they are not the product of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's a simple process. Now, I say it's a simple process. It's only taken me 20 years to figure it out. But, so you guys will get the benefit here. Okay? Take the believer. Now, I'm talking about the believer. I'm not talking about a person. I'm not talking churchianity. I'm talking Christ. Right? The believer walks in the Spirit. Okay? The Spirit produces fruit of the Spirit. Okay, Out of fruit of the Spirit comes gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Now, if you already knew that, act surprised. Okay? Because I just figured it out about 30 days ago. I I wasn't even sure then because I was writing it down thinking, well, there's a process there and I see it, but... huh. If you do not have fruit of the Spirit manifest, then love is not manifest. If love is not manifest, you have no gifts. Let me show you something. Go to Galatians chapter 5.
Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We all know this. We've got little bumper stickers and dolly. One of them call them things where they knit them together. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I want to show you something here. Fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Okay? Well, all right. That makes sense. Okay. If you do not manifest fruit of the Spirit, how is it that the gifts work? Back up a few verses. The deeds of the flesh are what? Evident. Now think about that for just a second. Please, I really need you to help me with... I need you to stick with me here. I know people who believe that I have this spiritual gift that every once in a while I can be carnal, fleshly, and when I'm operating in the flesh, I still have that spiritual gift that just seems to be offensive. Okay? That ain't what this text teaches out of Galatians 5. Galatians 5 says the deeds of carnality, the deeds of the flesh are evident, and they are in opposite contrast to the deeds of the Spirit. Ain't that what it says? And I mean, they're evident. And I mean, if you think about the church in Corinth, if you think about the church in America today, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, outbursts of angers, disputes, dissensions, and factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this. Ain't that what I've seen? I mean, we got two pastors been busted. Actually, three, four. Okay? Three pastors that I know in my years in Castle Rock have had to left, leave the pulpits because of immorality. Castle Rock's not a big town. We've got 20,000 people. Okay? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? A believer walks in the Spirit. The Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, and out of the fruit of the Spirit comes the gifts of the Spirit operating in the power of the Spirit. And you can't short-circuit that thing. Why? That's what the Corinthians were trying to do. It wasn't working well for them. Okay, now go back to the fruits of the Spirit. I want to show you something here that is just... I'm just going to leave you with these thoughts. Look what it says here. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay? Have you ever thought from this perspective? Love is the fruit of the Spirit, and the rest describe love in its, all of its dimensions? If I have the love of the Spirit, I will have joy. If I have love of the Spirit, I will have peace. If I have love of the Spirit, I will have patience. If I have the love of the Spirit, I will have kindness. If I have love of the Spirit, goodness. If I have love of the Spirit, I will have faithfulness. If I have love of the Spirit, I will have gentleness. If I have love of the Spirit, I will have self-control. And against these things, there is no law. Did you ever think about that? But we in our Pride, which kills love, 
are concerned about our spiritual gifts. So the Apostle Paul says, here are the spiritual gifts in chapter 12. Here's how they're plugged into the body in chapter 14. Here's how the little buggers work. And it's really cool because it manifests Christ. And if you ain't doing it with chapter 13, you look just like Corinth. You see that? I mean, if you look at your outline, it says speech without love, prophecy, knowledge, faith without love, charity, sacrifice without love. What? They're nothing. Did you hear that? Do you know prophecy, knowledge, faith are spiritual gifts? And if you don't have love, what do they get you? Zero zip nada. Love is clearly the greatest. We already looked at it. It's in verse 13. Faith, hope, knowledge... Prophecy and all the rest are all going to fade away. But love will never. If there is no love there, then what is being done is without the fruit of the Spirit. And if it is without the fruit of the Spirit, then it is not in the power of the Spirit, nor is it a spiritual gift. It's impossible. All right, do you understand why this is a little bit on the important side? Why I believe that the Apostle Paul, this may be his greatest text he ever penned for the church. I mean, the book of Romans is the greatest. But if you're saved, after you get through Romans also, wow, and the lights are on and I'm working. I mean, and you could jump into chapter 12, 13, 14, 15 of, of, of Romans. You sit there and start to knock yourself out. You become religious and you're going to do it without love. And if you have the greatest gift that God has ever given... And you do it without love, you are just basically doing it yourself. And in the weeks to come, I mean, I mean this is going to be really quick. The first three points, first three verses are going to be quick. And then it's going to start getting, it's going to start out here big. It says, if, you're, if, you, can, if you are such the most eloquent orator in the world and you have not love, you're just noisy. If you have the gifts and you have no love, you got nothing. If you offer yourself as a sacrifice and you don't have love, you're nothing. Zero, zip, nada. It profits you nothing. It means it adds absolutely nothing to you. How important is it? Okay, now think about it. I'm going to close with this thought. Emphatically, without a whole lot of work here. I can show you, here's what the flesh looks like, here's what the Spirit looks like. If you are walking in the Spirit, then you have to produce spiritual fruit. And its foundation is love. Out of that is joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness. All of it. And if you have not any, if you you realize that I'm not at peace, you have a foundation problem. You have a foundation problem. Love. Love. I watch people want to sacrifice for Jesus Christ and they have an overwhelming desire to do it. I'm willing to do anything, Jesus. Anything, anything. Go to the airport? I was thinking something bigger. Listen, if you're not willing to take Ellen Watson food, you don't ever have to worry about it. Bigger. 
If you're not willing to answer the phone at midnight for a person or a brother or sister who's in trouble, you don't have to worry about the rest. Why? Because fruit of the Spirit has its foundation at, at love. And out of that, the rest of it's going to come. If I ain't sitting in that position, I don't ever have to worry about my, what my spiritual gift is. And I don't ever have to be worried about being used for God. But I will share with you, and I want to close with this thought. Know this. If you have not experienced fruit of the Spirit, know that you've never exercised your spiritual gift. And if you've never exercised your spiritual gift, you've never walked in the power of He who holds existence into place. Okay? Know this. When the fire comes, your wood, hay, and stubble will burn up. You'll be saved, but you will suffer loss. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, look at this framework that we've started, which we've begun, which is laid out here before us by the Apostle Paul, Father, we will evaluate ourselves. Lord, we don't need to look at anybody else. I don't need to look at who's loving me and who isn't loving me. Father, let me look at me and say, is what I have for people unqualified and absolutely selfless in every aspect? Father, that is so difficult and so, so unique to our society. But Father... You've already told us your love has been poured into our hearts by the person of the Holy Spirit. Father, let us bow there that only your spirit, his fruit, his gifts, his power is what men and women see in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the amazing things that you do in Christ's name. Amen.